how many of you are actually enjoying the service tonight. Isn't the Lord present in our midst, just as he promised, and what he's proving to us tonight? Hallelujah. We've got some real dear friends here with us from Russia, Siberia. In fact, they've been pastoring there, planting congregations, uh, giving direction to Teen Challenge all over the former Soviet Union. And it's Ilya and Janet Bansiev, and two daughters and a son-in-law. Would you all stand? We want to welcome you to our service tonight. We're so blessed you're here. <clears throat> they had a bit of a harrowing uh, journey here, turned away at Kazakhstan, but uh, ended up being able to go through Dubai to Tel Aviv and now be with us. So precious family we've known for almost 30 years. That dates us, doesn't it? <laughs> Well, we're in a series, aren't we, uh, in the book of Joel. And the title of my message tonight is, Here Comes the Judge. The destiny of the nations on account of God's inheritance, Israel. Once again, here comes the judge. The destiny of the nations on account of God's inheritance, Israel. It's from Joel chapter 3 and verse 1 and following. So would you turn there with me? I have maybe the most difficult passage in the entire book. Now, Pastor Chad, who's the senior pastor here, he's in charge. And last week he got to speak about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that's prophesied in Joel chapter 2 at the end of that chapter. Next week he gets to talk about the blessing of God upon the nation of Israel in her restoration. I get to speak about judgment. It's really not fair, is it? I'll get you back one of these days, all right? So um, I'm going to take you now to, um, to our text. And um, first of all, let me just say this. Um, when I said I have to preach about judgment, you know, the Apostle Paul, as he was ending his ministry, he was meeting the Ephesian elders in, in Acts. He said, I didn't hesitate to teach you the whole counsel of God. We love to talk about all the blessings, but sometimes we avoid some of the counsel of God that talks about some difficult things. But you know what? The good news is especially good news when you realize how bad news can be. The worse the world is and needs God's judgment, which includes even us who are sinners, the good news is really good when we realize that Yeshua came, died on the cross, took upon himself our sins, and gave us access to the Father and eternal life. Amen? Okay. It's interesting what it says in 1 John 3, 8. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Hallelujah. Now, I'm talking about the devil right at the moment, and I forgot to pray before I preached, and the devil's not going to like what I'm about to preach, so would you pray with me? Lord, we come to you, and we know that no weapon formed against us will prosper. You are here, and you will defend us, and greater are you that is in us than he that is in the world. Lord, I pray that you will help me proclaim this truth, and that we might be Warned and also rescued by hearing this word in Yeshua's name. Amen. 
We're going to see some examples in Joel chapter 3 of how the devil has used certain nations to do evil things against the people of God, whom God calls my people, my inheritance. So let's read these first eight verses from Joel 3. For behold, in those days and at that time, when I bring back the captives of Judah and Jerusalem, I will also gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. And I will enter into judgment with them there on account of my people, my heritage, Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations. They have also divided up my land. They have cast lots for my people, have given a boy as payment for a harlot and sold a girl for wine that they may drink. Indeed, what have you to do with me, O Tyre and Sidon and all the coasts of Philistia? Will you retaliate against me? But if you retaliate retaliate against me swiftly and speedily, I will return your retaliation upon your own head because you have taken my silver and my gold and carried it into your temples, my prized possessions. Also the people of Judah and the people of Jerusalem you have sold to the Greeks that you may remove them far from their borders. Behold, I will raise them out of the place to which you have sold them. I will return your retaliation upon your own head. Now, we're going to do what the Apostle Paul said to do. He said to the elders that we're to preach the whole counsel of God. I, I told you that. Now, this is what it includes. It says, first of all, that God is going to restore the nation of Israel. That's the good news. I'll talk a little bit about this good news first. Would you like to hear the good news first or the bad news first? Okay, the good news first. It says here... <clears throat> The Lord will bring back the captives of Judah and Jerusalem. I'm not sure I like this New King James version of that word, bring back the captives, for it is Heshiv Shavut, which is literally, he will turn the turning. In other words, God will turn things around for the ones who turn around. He will restore the fortunes of those who turn back to the Lord. That's why the ESV, the NIV, and the NASB all translated that way. He will restore the fortunes of his people. Now, there have been times in the history of the Jewish people that they have been in captivity. That was their condition in Egypt. It was their condition when they were exiled into Babylon. And many of them went into slavery when the Romans invaded Jerusalem and Judah in 70 AD, destroyed the temple, took the people, and sold many of them into slavery. Now let me interject for a moment that anyone who courageously decides to follow the Jewish Messiah as their Savior and Lord will receive many of the blessings that are also promised to the nation of Israel. There are some exceptions, but almost all of the promises we get as those who have been grafted in among God's original chosen people, Israel. Not grafted in in place of those branches, but among those branches. It says this in Romans chapter 11, verse 17, Paul referring now to non-Jews who follow the Jewish Messiah. He says that those are of a wild olive tree, grafted in among the Jewish people, and with them became a partaker of the fruit and fatness of the olive tree. Aren't you glad you're a partaker 
of the fatness, the goodness, the blessings that God has promised ultimately to Israel. Now, speaking to non-Jews, the Jewish rabbi, Saul, the apostle Paul declares in Ephesians 2, verse 12 and following, that at that time you were without the Messiah, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in the Messiah Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of the Messiah, for he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation." How many of you are glad that you are now a member of the commonwealth of Israel? And so you get to share in Israel's future blessings. Now I shared with you my first point, which is this. God will restore the people of Israel and those grafted in among Israel. Now another point. Point two. The restoration of God's people is at a set time on his calendar. God will judge or God will restore God's people at a set time on his calendar. Verse one of our text, Joel chapter three, makes it clear, I think. For behold, in those days and at that time when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, God has a set time. It's in those days, and at that time, in the Hebrew. So the question many of us would obviously ask, are we in those days and at that time, that set time on the calendar for Israel's restoration? Well, I moved here with my wife and two of our kids in 1983 to this great city. It wasn't a great city at the time in the natural. It was kind of a backward place. There wasn't even, there was only one grocery store. Everything else was like these corner store and s- stores. And um, you see all these big buildings today and these cobblestone streets and all of that. It was a mess. Nobody wanted to be even, even in downtown Jerusalem. Everybody was running out to the suburbs to get away from the center of the city. Things have changed, haven't they? When we arrived, the population of Israel was 4.1 million. Of that number, 3 million were Jewish. That's less than one quarter of the entire Jewish population in the world. But in the last few years, it appears that more than almost half of the Jewish people in the world now live in Israel. And it won't be very many years, maybe three or four years at this pace, that the majority of the Jewish population in the world will be in Zion, in Israel. God's up to something here, right? Jerusalem in 1983, when we moved here, as I said, was about a little over 400,000 people. Of those, 340,000 were Jews. People now in Jerusalem numbered 953,341 as of the census of last year. Now, Already, that's more than double what it was when we moved here. And at this present rate of growth, Jerusalem would be a city of one million in three years from now. Not bad. And what about the nation of Israel as a whole? In 1983, it was a little over four million, as I said. Today, nine point, almost 9.5 million people. Of that, seven million are Jews. And the Jewish agency that there are 15,000 Jews in the world today. So that means almost half, as I said, of the Jewish people are here in the land of Israel. That's a miracle. 
when you realize that many of these Jewish people have a pretty good lifestyle, especially in the West, and uh, don't have a good reason to come back home. But God is bringing them home. He's restoring this nation. Among the OEC countries, these are countries that are more wealthy. They have uh, a more transparent legal system and economy. Israel, of the 37 nations, has the highest fertility rate of any of those nations. Highest growth rate of the population than any of those major countries. God is up to something. Here's what Psalm 102 says. And here we get a hint that maybe we are in those days that Joel is talking about when God will restore his people. Listen to this. I love this passage. Psalm 102, verse 13 and following. For you will arise and have mercy on Zion for the time to favor her. Yes, the set time. The set time has come for your servants take pleasure in her stones and show favor to her dust. So the nations shall fear the name of the Lord and all kings of the earth, your glory for the Lord shall build up Zion. He shall appear in his glory for the Lord will build up Zion. He shall appear in his glory. Are we in the last of the last days when Yeshua will come back and he will bring restoration? He will restore the fortunes of this nation. First with judgment, but then blessing. I think we may be close to that time. The Lord is building up Zion. Hallelujah. Can anybody say, that's good news? Now the bad news. <laughs> First, let me just say this. Knowing that Yeshua is coming again at a set time and that we may be close to that set time, we ought to be looking up for our redemption draws nigh. And we ought to have great hope and expectation that things will be a lot better than they are right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We ought to be getting ready for his return as well. I love what it says in Titus chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. Paul says that we should be looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus the Messiah, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Okay, now the bad news. I'm going to try to end on a good note, though. Okay, so hang in there with me, all right? God will judge the nations. God will judge the nations. After telling us in verse 1 about the reversal of Israel's fortunes, Joel now gives us the bad news. Verse 2, I will also gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, and I will enter into judgment with them there on account of my people, my Inheritance Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations, they have also divided up my land. Now, why will God gather all the nations and enter into judgment with them? The answer is because of my people, he says, my heritage Israel. God is justified in judging these nations. I mean, there are many other places in the Hebrew scriptures where it says that God will scatter his Jewish people to the nations. And Joel refers to this scattering. 
But we also know that God himself scattered the nations. And so is he justified in judging the nations whom he used to scatter the Jewish people? Well, yes, he is justified. Why? Because they went beyond the judgment that God had asked them to do in their treatment of the Jewish people. And it says that they have scattered among the nations and they have also divided up my land. Now, in the case of their exile to Babylon, God judged the Jewish people because they had rebelled against him, serving other gods, shedding innocent blood. And when the Romans invaded Jerusalem and destroyed the temple, again, scattered to the nations, the rabbis explained that this happened because of groundless hatred, sinat chinam in Hebrew. The Talmud declares, but why was the second sanctuary destroyed? Because therein prevailed hatred without cause. And it teaches you that groundless hatred is considered as if, as even uh, gravity with the three sins of idolatry, immorality, and bloodshed together. And back in Second Temple times, there were Jews fighting over political persuasions and even religious differences. But here, Joel's speaking about nations being judged justly for what they have done. Here it says, here's what Derek Prince says. In relation to one of their sins, and that is dividing up the land of the Jewish people, going beyond what God had called them to do. This is what Derek Prince said, and Derek Prince was a part of our congregation here in the last few years of his life. I remember bringing him in in a wheelchair at the back door when this was just a shell. We had no seats in here, no renovations, nothing. And he wept as he saw the potential of this auditorium. Listen to what Derek Prince said. Now, what's the modern word for dividing up the land of Israel? Partition. I'm sorry to say that Britain will be number one on that list because after World War I, Britain received a mandate to watch over the Bible land of Israel and to prepare the way for it to become a national home for the Jewish people. This was a mandate from the League of Nations, and in 1922, the British Foreign Secretary, Winston Churchill, made a plan by which he divided up that land and allotted 76% to a totally Arab state, which was called Transjordan, which is now called Jordan. So of the total land, only 24% was left available to the Jewish people. Because no Jews may live in the state of Jordan, and then in 1947, the United Nations decided to divide up the 24%, and I think they left Israel less than 12%, God says, I'm going to judge the nations that have partitioned my land, divided my land. Because it says, it is my land. I am the one who determines what happens to that land. I'm the one who determines to whom it belongs and who will live there. And it's a presumption on the part of the nations to take away from me that right. <laughs> now, Israel has no right, nor does any nation have the right to divide up his land. In the words of the Lord himself in Leviticus chapter 25, verse 23, the land shall not be sold permanently, for the land is mine. The land is mine. And we see in many places in the Old Testament that's referred to their land, the land of the Jewish people. But the bottom line is it's really God's land. God is the landlord. 
Israel has rights to occupancy. They're, they're tenants on the land, but ultimately the possession of the land, the owner of the land is God himself. So the nations will be judged by God because they divide the land and the world still wants to divide the land, does it not? It's gonna be part, the judgment's gonna come on those who do this. The second aspect of God's judgment is he will judge the nations for their anti-Semitic attitudes and actions. I said that they went beyond what God had mandated them to do in bringing discipline to his people, Israel, through scattering the nation. Ezekiel 35 talks about Edom, the nation of Edom, the people that are the descendants of Esau. He says concerning Edom, it is here says that they have a perpetual hatred against the people of Israel. In Ezekiel chapter 35 and verse 5, God says to the Edomites, you have an ancient hatred, evat olam, and have shed the blood of the children of Israel by the power of the sword at the time of their calamity when their iniquity came to an end. And then later, God, the God of Israel says, as you rejoice because the inheritance of the house of Israel was desolate, so I will do to you. You shall be desolate, O Mount Seir, as well as all of Edom, all of it. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. So we see God is very upset with the dome. He will judge that nation for its anti-Semitism, its perpetual, continual, eternal hatred against the Jewish people. Just as the dome had that ancient hatred, so many other people around the world, and it's evidence sometimes even at the United Nations in their voting record, that they have an anti-Semitic attitude toward the Jewish people and their land, the land of Israel. It says this in chapter 25 of that same book, say to the Ammonites, hear the word of the Lord, thus says the Lord God, because you said, aha, against my sanctuary when it was profaned and against the land of Israel when it was desolate and against the house of Judah when they went into captivity, then later in verse six, it says, because you clapped your hands and stamped your feet and rejoiced in your heart with, your, with disdain for the land of Israel. Indeed, therefore I will stretch out my hand against you and give you as a plunder to the nations. I will cut you off from the peoples and I will cause you to perish from the countries. I will destroy you and you shall know that I am the Lord. And then God speaks concerning the Babylonians, the Chaldeans. Jeremiah 50 and following, and Chaldea shall be become plunder. All who plunder her shall be satisfied, says the Lord, because you were glad, because you rejoiced, you destroyers of my inheritance. Speaking of Israel. Saying, aha, rejoicing, glad that Israel's being, being judged. They went beyond what God used them to do to bring discipline to his children as a good father. And then we read this, that God judges them for a devaluing of Jewish people. 
Look at our text, Joel chapter three, verse three. It says, they, concerning the nations, they have cast lots for my people, have given a boy as payment for a harlot and sold a girl for wine that they may drink. Joel's reflecting on where Jews were sold into slavery and sold really cheap. You sell a boy for the price of one night with a harlot. Some harlots are really expensive, but can you imagine the price of a boy being cheapened in that way? And some were sold for the price of a drink. That's a devaluation of God's precious people, the nation of Israel. Now, God totally identifies with Israel in the way it's being treated by the nations. He takes it personally. When the nations treat his people badly, he regards it as a personal attack. In Zechariah 2.8, it says, he who touches you, that is Israel, touches the apple of his eye. You poke at Israel and you are poking in the eyeball of God himself. God totally identifies with Israel. Back in verse two of our text of Joel three, it says, and I will enter into judgment with them there on account of my people, my inheritance, Israel. My, my, my. <laughs> the Jews are not just any people. They are my people, God says. And so important are the Jewish people to him that he says that they are my heritage in the New King James Version, but much better if it's my inheritance. In fact, the word nachala used throughout the Old Testament almost in every case is translated by at least the New King James Version as inheritance. And then suddenly we come to Joel and it says, my heritage. I don't think half the people reading that know what my heritage. It's God's inheritance. Think about this. What if someone came along to your father, let's say that your father's suffering from Alzheimer's, and he convinces your father to change his will and testament so that you are cut out of the inheritance altogether and some stranger steals it from you? Would you be justified in entering into a lawsuit to see that that person is punished for their thievery? I think you'd be justified and so is God because there's actually a thievery going on when the nations steal his inheritance, his Jewish people. They steal his people that they might sell them out and make a profit. So we read in our text in Joel 3, verses 2 and 3, and I will enter into judgment with them there on account of my people, my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and they have divided up my land. They have cast lots for my people and have given a boy as a payment for a harlot and sold a girl for wine that they may drink. In verse 6, God specifically speaks of Tyre and Sidon and Philistia, the Phoenicians here he's referring to. And there is evidence historically of these nations being involved in selling Jewish people as slaves. But these are only examples of many nations who did that. In fact, the listing of various nations at various points, he's giving simply examples among many, many more examples of the way the Jewish people have been mistreated by various nations. It may be true that Jews are not being sold into slavery today, but we know that during the Holocaust, the Nazis not only stole the Jewish people from their homes and from their livelihoods and enslaved them in concentration camps where they were treated like their 
forefathers in Egypt by wicked and oppressing taskmasters. They worked themselves to the bones serving under these sadistic slave masters. And those Nazis also stole their precious possessions. In verse five of our text, God declares to some nations, you have taken my silver and my gold and have carried into your temples my prized possessions. So far we've seen this. Number one, God will restore the people of Israel and those grafted in. Number two, the restoration of God's people is at a set time on God's calendar, and I think we're getting close to that set time. Number three, God will judge the nations. Now, number four, it's this. God will judge the nations through the person of Yeshua. God will judge the nations through the person of Yeshua. Yeshua is not only the Messiah and Savior, but he's also the judge. Paul the Apostle is preaching in Athens, many of whom were philosophers and agnostics, many of whom served the unknown God. He confronts them with this reality concerning the future in Acts 17, verse 29 and following. Listen to this. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked Look, but now commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. He doesn't mention the name Yeshua, but he's clearly talking about the man who is raised from the dead. He will be the one that judges the nations. Many believers, especially young believers, have an impression about Yeshua that is partially true, but only partially. They're missing another character trait of Yeshua. They think of him as the gentle shepherd. And yet, we read even in the Gospels how Yeshua overturned the tables of the money changers in the temple. Pretty, pretty hard treatment. And then in the end times, we read this concerning what he will do at the end of a great tribulation. Does this sound like the gentle Jesus? <laughs> Listen to this, Revelation chapter 19, verse 11 and following. Now I saw a heaven opened and behold a white horse and he who sat on him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written which no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And, of, and the armies in heaven, clothed with fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations." And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Gentle Jesus, yes. But Jesus the judge, when the cup is full, the cup of sin and rebellion is full, will have to show the other side of his character in which he brings judgment to sinful nations. Charles Ryrie writes in his study Bible, 
At the second coming, the Gentiles will be judged for their treatment of Israel. Matthew 25, 40 and 45 in the Valley of Jehoshaphat. By the way, Jehoshaphat means the Lord judges, just so you know. Ryrie is referring to the parable in Matthew 25 where Yeshua comes as the judge and he separates sheep nations from goat nations. And we see how the Messiah king and judge treats certain nations in relation to the nation of Israel. This is what it says in Joel, in our passage, I will gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat and enter into my judgment with them there on account of my people, my heritage, Israel. Now we come to Matthew chapter 25 and we see that he's pointing, that Matthew is pointing to the future when God, when Yeshua will be the judge and separate sheep from goats. He's not talking about individuals who will be judged, but it says nations in that text. Listen to some of the highlights here from the passage in Matthew 25. We read how he's going to judge the sheep nations. And it says, then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of my brethren, you did it to me. And the king will answer and say to them, assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these brethren, my brethren, you did it to me. But how will the Messiah king judge the the, the goat nations says this, then they will also answer him saying, Lord, when, we, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, surely I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now, many people use this parable in Matthew 25 concerning our individual responsibility to reach out and help in practical ways those who are hungry, those who are homeless, those who are oppressed, the castaways of society. And you can make that leap legitimately because there's a principle here of how you treat people. But that specific parable, following Matthew 24, where Yeshua is talking about the last days and the nation of Israel and what's going to happen, in the same context, he's saying, these least of these, my brethren, he's referring to his brothers, the Jews, his own flesh and blood brothers. And Yeshua is saying, the way you treat my brothers, my Jewish brothers, that's how you're doing it to me. And you will be judged accordingly, according to the way you treat the nation or the people of Israel. Now, here's a question. Where will Yeshua judge these anti-Semitic nations who mistreat his Jewish brothers? It's the Valley of Jehoshaphat, as we said. We don't know if it's a particular geographical place, whether it's the Valley of Kidron, just east of the old city, below the Mount of Olives, or whether it's the Valley of Barachah, where, the, where Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, defeated a conspiracy of nations who attempted to invade Judah and Jerusalem. You remember Judah, the tribe went forth praising. It's, the battle is the Lord's, and the Lord defeats those nations 
those conspiring nations, they actually kill themselves, kill off each other. So maybe it's that valley, we don't know. Or maybe it's just, it's a metaphor for God judging because the name Jehoshaphat means the Lord judges. We don't know, but we do know the nations are gonna be gathered together and they will be judged according to the way they treat the people and nation of Israel. Here's my fifth point. Israel will also be judged, but a great remnant will be saved. Israel will also be judged, but a great remnant will be saved. Already back in Deuteronomy chapter four, God warns about the coming judgment and tribulation for Israel's sins. And in particular, their worship of other gods. We read this in Deuteronomy four, verse 30 and following. And when you are in distress and all these things come upon you in the latter days, when you turn to the Lord your God and obey his voice, for the Lord your God is a merciful God, he will not forsake you nor destroy you, nor forget the covenant of your fathers, which he swore to them. What does it say in the verse just before this? Deuteronomy 4.29, but from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you seek him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. There is a time of great distress predicted. It's a judgment for Israel's sins. Israel's not a perfect nation, but it also says that God is merciful and he will save his people. How many of you are glad that God is merciful? Uh, are there any sinners in the room <laughs> who might deserve the judgment of God? Aren't you glad that in wrath, God remembers mercy? Hallelujah. And he will show that to Israel as well. I'm excited about the fact that many Israelis are today seeking the Lord. Some of the largest concerts in this country now feature Israeli singers and musicians who are writing songs, many of them right out of the scriptures, in which they are crying out to the Lord for his salvation and for his presence. Yishai Rebo is one of those, and here are some lyrics from one of his songs. Listen to this. You'd think he got it right out of Joel and Matthew 24 and 25. Listen to this. When the child cries for help, so even the Father in heaven arrives. Even when we've done something bad, he pardons and forgives. Pardons and forgives, holds out his hand in help. And in his compassion gives the strength to repair and to return to him. The time has come to regret. If you're fleeing, then from sin. If you're taking, then take in order to give. And this is the time to come closer, not to fear the pain. And if you're giving, then with all your heart, everything is possible. If we so wish it, the seeker will always find. Even if he is somewhere out there on the edge, the doors of heaven are never locked. When the child cries for help, so the father in heaven arrives even. Even when we've done something bad, he pardons and forgives, pardons and forgives, hold out his, holds out his hands in help. I am so tempted to shout after that. And Jewish people all over this nation are listening to songs like that. Several artists, people who have come to love God, and maybe some have even come to know Yeshua, but we don't know, are singing these songs. The Lord answers the cry of the seeker. He answers the cry of, the, of those who know without him they're doomed. And so it will be a great tribulation when many will be in such a dark place 
and so fearful that it will be that day that they reach up and say, God, save us. God, deliver us. I told you the good news. I told you the bad news. The tribulation is bad news. But it will also be a time when a great remnant of God's ancient people, Israel, who are living at that time, will be saved. Hallelujah. Jeremiah 24, 6, For I will set my eyes on them for good, and I will bring them back to this land. I will build them and not pull them down. I will plant them and not pluck them up. Then I will give them a heart to know me, that I, may, that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. That day is coming. It's arriving. It's already here. So in conclusion, so how do you and I get involved, if involved at all? Maybe we should just say, God's going to do this anyway. Let's just be a spectator. Let's sit on the top of the Mount of Olives and just watch the whole thing happen. <laughs> Playing our guitar and chewing on sunflower seeds with flowers in our hair, whatever. <laughs> no, we're not to just be spectators. Jesus said, occupy until you come. Till he comes. But then we're to pray for Israel's salvation. We're to pray. This is what Joel chapter 2, verse 17, the chapter prior to our text, it says, Let the priests who minister to the Lord weep between the porch and the altar. Let them say, Spare your people, O Lord, and do not give your heritage or your inheritance to reproach, that the nations should rule over them. Why should they say among the peoples, Where is their God? And Peter the Apostle says that all of us who know Yeshua are priests unto God. And the, and the major role of the priests was to be intercessors, to stand in the gap, to pray for the salvation of God's people. This is what we read in 1 Kings chapter 8, beginning at verse 37. And it reveals the way we should pray for Israel. When there is a famine in the land, pestilence or blight or mildew, locusts or grasshoppers, when their enemy besieges them in the land of their cities, whatever plague or whatever sickness there is, whatever your prayer, whatever supplication is made by anyone or by all your people, Israel, then each one knows the plague in his own heart and spreads out his hands toward this temple. This is Solomon, by the way, saying these things. Then here in heaven, your dwelling place, their prayer and their supplication and maintain their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you and all their transgressions which they have transgressed against you and grant them compassion before those who took them captive that they may have compassion on them for they are your people and your inheritance whom you brought out of Egypt, out of the iron furnace. For your eyes may be open to the supplication of your servant and the supplication of your people Israel to listen to them whenever they call to you. For you separated them from all the peoples of the earth to be your inheritance. As you spoke by your servant Moses, then you brought out our fathers out of Egypt, O Lord God. And so it was when Solomon had finished praying all this prayer and supplication to the Lord that he rose from before the altar of the Lord from kneeling on his knees with his hands spread up to heaven. That's our calling. That's our calling to pray for the mercy of God, the grace of God to be outpoured upon this nation. Last week, Pastor Chad talked about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and it's a spirit of grace and supplication as well. And so we're to pray but let me give you a few more things of what we should be doing. 
says this in Romans chapter 15, verse 25 and following. But I am now going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints, for it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. Please them indeed, and they are their debtors. For if the Gentiles, the nations, have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. Yeah, we pray, but we also practically help this nation in their time of need. There are many homeless. Many of them are sleeping right in this building, by the way. There are many people that don't have a hot meal that they can prepare, but we have the manna kitchen, and we're serving about 250 Israelis every week with a hot meal, and it's a four-course meal. <laughs> in very practical ways, we realize that those of us who are from the nations are not part, nor not Jewish or Israelis. We have a, a role to bring practical help, material help, in gratitude for the spiritual help they've been to us. Can anybody say amen to that? And one of the results of our kindness toward the Jewish people is this. Romans 11, 11, I say then, have they stumbled, the Jewish people, that they should fall? Certainly not. But through their fall, to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to Israel. I believe that as we pray, and as we give practical help. They will see our passion. They'll see that we love Yeshua. We love God, maybe even more than they do. That we love his word more than even may, maybe they do, even though you see them on the buses and the trains, reading from their prayer books and from the Psalms. Oh, that we would have even greater passion for the word of God than they do, to provoke them to jealousy. This is all part of the end time plan of God. And you and I are not to stand back as spectators, but we're to get involved. And in our doing good, we should also say why we're doing this good. It's because we are so grateful to Yeshua, who is the only savior, the only one by which we must be saved. The one who took upon himself our sin upon the cross, rose from the dead, proving that the sacrifice he made was acceptable to God and by which we are delivered and saved. Romans eleven twenty five. 25, for I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, that lest you be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has happened or come. And so all Israel shall be saved. As is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob for this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Can we stand? I want you to pray with me. If you agree with me in prayer, this prayer. Oh God, forgive us our sins. Forgive any of us, Lord, who have had a perpetual hatred or even devaluing the Jewish people, thinking we're better than they are. Oh God, forgive us for any ill treatment that we may have, may be guilty of. Lord, I pray for our individual nations, and we know that some of our nations have treated Israel unfairly and have voted in the UN. 
based on lies and exaggerations and voted resolutions against this nation whom you call my people, my inheritance. Forgive our nations, O God. In these latter days, O Lord, may a great remnant from our nations be saved by your grace and mercy. And Lord, will you save this nation Israel? I believe you will because you promised it and all Israel shall be saved. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will take away ungodliness from Jacob for this is my covenant when I take away their sins. Oh God, save your people. And Lord, make us true intercessors, intercessors who stand in the gap and pray for this great restoration. And God, give us compassion to do practical things to bless this nation in her time of need. As we do it to the least of these, your brethren, the Jewish people, we do it unto you. In Yeshua's name, amen.